have something to say, I'd like to hear it. I want a divorce. Are you asking me for a divorce? Divorce? I will divorce you so fast, it'll make your head spin. I want a divorce. 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 You want a divorce? This is Dallas Divorce Talk with Don Butner and Carla Calabrese. Don and Carla guide you deep inside the world of divorce through all the ins and outs, ups and downs, and any unexpected turns. Now, your hosts to have and to hear, Don Budner and Carla Calabrese. Welcome to Dallas Divorce Talk. This is Don Budner. I'm here with my co-host, Carla Calabrese. We are streaming on On Air Live. You can watch onairlive.com. And today, we are going to talk about pre- and post-marital agreements, correct, Ms. Calabrese? Got it. Yep, that's what we're talking about. Yes, and Carla had a concern that she brought up a moment ago um, about whether or not we could discuss this topic without using a certain term. Carla? Well, I think that when we were talking about this from the male's perspective, which today we really want to talk about how these agreements can be helpful for um, the men out there who are trying to protect their assets, I was thinking, how do we do this without using the word gold digger? It just sounds so offensive, right? I mean, and then <laughs> I wondered aloud, is there a special term for a male gold digger? <laughs> and we decided. We decided? No. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only male in the room, I just want to say. I, I don't think there's any specific uh, gender term. I, I think it's kind of all neutral. So do you think we should go into other derogatory terms about males today? <laughs> you know what? Sure. I'm here for whatever you need. Okay. So I'll even throw that, in a couple of my own. As any of those those terms come to mind, Carla, please feel okay. free to shout them out Definitely. or into the microphone. Definitely And will. same for the listeners. Um, feel free to go onto our Facebook page if you come up with something Give us relevant. some ideas, yeah. Yes. But... In all seriousness, we are going to talk about these agreements, and I think that they may be more and more common Definitely. Uh, today and going forward. So we want to talk a little bit about why one might enter a pre- or post-marital agreement and educate everybody on different options and... Uh, you know, especially if you are seeking an agreement to protect your assets, we would like to assume that you want it to be enforceable and not subject to being bust open. So we're going to talk a little bit about how folks can go about making sure their agreements are going to stick. Yeah. And and also about when do people typically do uh, think about getting a premarital agreement? And I was asked a little earlier, you know, in what situation do we typically see that? And, you know, I will say that we tend to see them in second marriages more more often because obviously at that point people are older, they've built a net worth up, and it's a, they've been through a first divorce. They're kind of wary about even plunging into a second marriage, and so they're they're looking to protect um, a, a bigger estate because they're they're older and having a second marriage. That's pretty common. Um, also, in those situations, they usually, if they have a pretty big nest egg, they want to protect it for their children. Right. That, that's and what I was so, going to say. So they may have kids from a prior marriage. Right. And when the evil stepmother, I mean, when the stepmother <laughs> enters the picture, um, certainly want to 
protect right. the inheritance for really the, those kids from the, the inheritance, first marriage. That's right. So we see that a lot. And I personally could do a show on the evil stepmother also, I think that Are we yes, talking about some family of origin issues, yes, Miss um, Dawn? We, we definitely have some <laughs> so, things to talk about on that. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's a pretty common um, time that we see them. And we, you know, in Dallas, because we have a fair number of young entrepreneurs who have made a lot of money in, you know, the early stages of their life, um, we, were, we are seeing, you know, I had a 37-year-old once who had $60 million dollars. Uh, because of a business that he put pulled together and then sold it or went public or something. So in that situation, it was a, a young woman and they were getting married and we were talking about premarital agreements. And it was, you know, in that situation, I think a little bit tougher because, you know, unlike somebody who's 55, someone who's 35, they have their whole life ahead of them. So right. what is it going to look like? And are they going to have children? And if they if they have children, will the non-moneyed spouse stay home and how will that impact? And so those are doable and we've done quite a few of them, but there, there's a lot more um, work that goes into those and negotiating and thinking about the future. So Well, and, you know, for, forgive me, but it's the day, day after Valentine's Day. Yes, today. it is. And, you know, call me old-fashioned, but... I would not consider it super romantic if my fiancé suggested that we go to the lawyer's office and drop an agreement so that he wouldn't have to share any of his money with me. Yeah, no. It's not, not an easy conversation, no, I don't think. No, it is not. And, and I do think, like you mentioned earlier, that for the first marriage when, you know, we still have soft feet, we haven't walked across the broken glass of life yet, <laughs> uh, it might be a little harder to hear, Um but I think before we kind of get into some of the details about it, we ought to just state the obvious in terms of what is the purpose of entering a premarital agreement. And the backdrop is that in the state of Texas, when you are married, your anything that you make or earn is considered to be community property unless you had it before the marriage or you get it by an inheritance or a gift, right? right. As and, well as all the income off of your separate property. Right. So that's the really, second piece. really where the prenups come in. Yes. <clears throat> so basically, just to, to sort of restate that big point, wages, you know, if one spouse works, the other stays home, it doesn't matter. Whatever the spouses together earn is 50-50 belonging to both of them during the marriage. And you then alluded to the piece, what about income that is earned off of that property? And so let's start with assuming community property. Income off of that is going to be community property also. But what about separate property? You come into the marriage and you have, you have a big a, inheritance. Let's say you have a, a car wash. I had a client with a car wash. Okay, let's do a car wash. Yeah. <clears throat> let's say you have a car wash. <clears throat> and the car wash, of course... Some of them can mint money, especially it's the ones I go to. They're quite pricey, it seems, these days. But if you have a car wash, and that is your car wash, you had it before you were married, and then you bring it into the marriage, and the income off that car wash, that's technically community money. Right. So somebody who comes into a marriage with a car wash <laughs> might want to protect the income off of that and try to keep it or on their side of the... Apart from car washes, equipment. which I, I would like to talk about, because every time I go to the car wash, <laughs> it rains the next day, and I don't have time to go back, and it's very irritating. But apart from that, what about even like a 
401k, a retirement account that earns income during the marriage. You had that money before you got married. So I think intuitively people might think it's mine. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's income not. off of that separate is is community property. So that's what people are looking to protect when they are looking to enter into premarital agreements. So so everybody, mm-hmm. stop driving. You got to get this point. Income from any property, community or separate, that is earned during the marriage is community. Absent a premarital agreement. Right. Yeah. Hence, the premarital agreement. Yeah. So... We were talking about, you know, this from the male perspective, right? We were right. hoping to do that. So, um, Kevin, are you telling me that we're getting close to a time? Uh, I was hinting at it, yeah. Just letting you know we need to take a break soon. He no rush. It, he does it in such a subtle way. I, th- I think he has <laughs> an itch on his forehead you. or, you know. <laughs> you can't be all right, subtle We'll come me. back after and talk about this from the male perspective. That's right. It's all about the men. We're calling him the Prince and Cinderella. That's right. So you princes, we'll see you after this short break. Don't split. More of Dallas Divorce Talk coming up next. marital agreements from the perspective of the young prince, the wealthy man. The Prince and, Charming. Yes, Prince Charming, sweeping Cinderella off of her feet. And out of poverty. And out of poverty. It's, <laughs> you, you gentlemen are so kind. Uh, so, assuming that you are the prince and you are seeking a pre- or post-marital agreement, we want to tell you how to make sure it's enforceable. And Carla and I have noticed that many attorneys creating these documents don't seem to read the law about how to make them enforceable. 
it is difficult to bust a prenup. Yeah, it is definitely. Very difficult. Lucky for them because there are lots of really crummy ones out there. But if you want to be a stickler and actually ensure that yours is going to be enforceable, you will look at Texas Family Code 4.006. Carla loves it when I talk like that. <laughs> um, and we're going to get into more detail as we talk today about how one would go about ensuring that it's a valid contract that they're they're creating. But I want to raise an issue that I think is kind of a misconception out there among the princes, being that it is to their advantage if Cinderella does not have her own lawyer. Yeah, that's definitely a misconception and a very bad idea. I think so too. And personally, I will not represent someone in a case where the other side is not represented by their own lawyer for a divorce or premarital agreement or anything. There's a disciplinary rule that says that a lawyer is not allowed to represent more than one party, more than one side in a dispute and can't give legal advice except for to get yourself a lawyer. Yeah. Yes. So I I just draw a line there. Some people do it and... I can't tell you how many people come in and want to bust a prenup and they have not been represented by counsel. So shall we talk a little bit about why it's such a mistake for the prince not to have Cinderella get her own lawyer? Well, obviously, um, premarital agreements, um, if anybody's seen one or done one, they're pretty lengthy. Um, they have a lot of legal jargon in there that, you know, the lawyers sometimes don't even understand, so let alone a layperson. Um, and so it would be, you know, absolutely um, ill-advised that anybody would have someone sign, a, you know, a prospective spouse sign a premarital agreement that's that legalese without having their own lawyer, obviously. So, um, so it's true that, you know, under the law, you're not allowed to say, oh, well, I didn't read that, so it's overturned. And you're not allowed to say, I didn't understand that, so it's overturned. But if the prince says anything to sort of persuade Cinderella not to get her own lawyer that could be considered a misrepresentation or undue influence over Cinderella. I think you, it, I think there's some case law on that. Well, there is. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's when you get the difference. If, if basically, you know, and, and this is true in divorces also, and getting someone to sign a decree without a lawyer. And if you misrepresent things to them or you threaten them right. and say, you know what, I'm not going to give you a penny and I was going to give you, you know, half of this pot of money here, but now I'm not unless you sign it without a lawyer. Well, that can be a problem then. You know, the spouse may be able to go and, and overturn it. So, if there is legal counsel representing the other spouse, then you really do a lot to, um, to bolster eliminate and, yeah. the possibility that the other spouse is going to be able to make a challenge. Right, right. No doubt. No doubt about that. I think that's that's definitely true. You really need to have that happen so that you can shore up your premarital agreement. Because why are you doing it otherwise, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you want the spouse. And the big thing under the law is that Cinderella is informed. Yep. She understands generally what 
the property is out there. She's had an opportunity to get disclosure on that and is signing it anyway. Yeah. is basically what you want to be able to show, yeah. right? And, and, and definitely on the disclosure piece, you know, I think it's important. I've seen cases where the schedules that are attached to the premarital agreement, which basically, you know, outlines all of the Prince's assets and Cinderella's more meager assets. But um, you can't put beauty on paper. Carla. No, true. Um, <laughs> but um, I've seen where you where the um, moneyed spouse to be does not identify the value of his or her, you know, her estate. So I had a case once where the husband to be did not want to tell the wife to be that he had a certain amount of money. And they actually had gone, she had gone through several lawyers and finally came to me. And I think she just warmed down finally because she stuck to her guns. She wanted to know how much he made, how much money he had. And it's important to understand that piece because the only way, let's say I'm advising Cinderella that I can advise her about what she's waiving if she enters into a prenup is if I understand what she's really waiving. So in that case, they had tried to say that he had an excess of $10 million. And I said to him, well... Jump change. Yeah, I said to him, $10 million and $1 is different than $90 million. <laughs> and the way I advise her is going to be very different, so I need to know. And ultimately, with great uh, trepidation and lots of moaning on his side, he did disclose everything, and lo and behold, it was more than $90 million that he had. So, um, Did she know, sign it? She did, she did, um, but we got, but of course, we got some different concessions because obviously the income he was making off that was much greater than he was willing to share. And so let me make two points there. Number one, he was probably really mad at Carla. He probably said rude things about <laughs> Carla to others, but he should be thanking Carla. Right. It's because of Carla that he has a valid and enforceable that's right. that's marital the, that's agreement. That's the point. That point. is an excellent point that I just made. Yeah. Do you agree, Carla? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So don't talk bad about Carla. <laughs> um, and number two, I can't remember because I'm 51 and a half. You can't remember what? What I, number two was. Oh. <laughs> I had a super good point I was going to make. But okay, well, it's, we'll, it's we'll let it go. But, yeah. that, but that, again, the point being, we're here to talk about, from print, the prince's perspective, how do we protect your hard earned, you know, money. In that case, he, this guy had earned a lot of money and done very, very well. So, you know, be sure that they, that, um, your spouse has a, your spouse to be has a lawyer. And secondly, be sure that you're, 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 you've got to disclose not only just here are my assets, but you actually have to attach values the to value. That. And, yeah. you know, I, I will say also, I have run across, so many of these agreements that don't do that and that just have like a one-page lame list of assets with no values. And most times, you're going to make it through with that. But it's not a good idea. You're rolling the dice. Yeah. And yeah. so we do things a little differently and would recommend that you find a lawyer that is going to be a little more precise about it. Um, so let's talk about the – we sort of need to explain how you bust one, a premarital agreement, in order to explain how to do one properly. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how Cinderella could – or what arguments she might raise to try to bust the premarital agreement in just a minute when we get back. 
More of Dallas Divorce Talk coming up. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. I kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights just thinking how you'd done me wrong. I grew strong. I learned how to get along and so you're back from outer space I just walked in to find you here without that look upon your face I should have changed my I would have made you leave your key if I'd have known for just one second You'd be back to bother me Oh, now go talking about what Cinderella might argue in an attempt to overturn a pre or post marital agreement and the backdrop to that is that they are presumed to be enforceable if they're signed by the parties and you know you basically follow the rules Uh, but the two big arguments are number one I did not voluntarily sign this agreement and number two this agreement is unconscionable so with respect to involuntariness, just because the document says, I hereby say that I am voluntarily signing this agreement and I've read the whole thing, that's not the end of the story there. The court's going to look at the facts and circumstances around the signing. And that's where we were alluding earlier to you don't want to lie to induce someone to sign it. Don't give them any false facts. You don't want to tell them that you won't marry them if they don't sign it right now and then their mom and dad are waiting, you know, to walk them down the aisle. <laughs> that is not a good idea. Uh, so so those sort of things, right? And then t- let's talk about unconscionability. That's the other, the other means for overturning the agreement. And basically... Have you ever seen a case that that finds that it finds unconscionability because I think they're so hard they are hard to find. It is hard to find those, but here they will also. I mean, the, everything kind of gets looped together in the cases. So if you've got someone who's lying to induce, then sometimes they'll Just they'll tack on unconscionability. Tack on yeah. unconscionability too. So, but have you ever seen one where, let's say, because you know, money moneyed spouse has, you know, a billion bucks and and you know. Cinderella has just her 
dress that's in tatters. I mean, do you ever see? There are have you ever seen any there case are a couple law of cases um, that says I'm that's just on. unconscionable mm-hmm. on its face if she doesn't get some kind of a payout if upon divorce or something like that. Typically, it's it's not necessarily that the the result is unfair that they focus on because the test is at the time of signing mm-hmm. was it unconscionable? Right, right. And so, you know, is it unconscionable for? a prince to marry Cinderella. I mean, he's got a lot of money. She does, you know, the the mere act of marrying and not giving your money over to Cinderella doesn't make it unconscionable. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Right? Interesting, and yeah. so typically they'll look at the circumstances well, too. Well, what's interesting is when I'm advising the prince, um, I, and if there's, especially if there's a lot of money and there's a young Cinderella, right. then I am going to advise that he consider doing something that does give her some um, money if, in fact, the marriage ends, especially if she's raising his kids uh, or, um, you know, cutting back her career completely. Because what, what, what happened, like in the one case I was talking about earlier, um, at 37 years old, you have $60, $70 million. Well, that's a different life that he's now going to lead. He's not working every day. He's got a lot of freedom. He wants her with him. He wants right. her to, you know, go to different, you know, go all, travel the world and, and, and promote whatever he's promoting at the time. So in that case, you know, I encouraged um, him to kind of put a chart together and, you know, it was how many children they had and how long she was out of work. And, right. And so, so that, Carla, so just you because I, I was trying to make sure there wasn't an unconscionable argument. Right. And, and Carla and I were actually, just so you know, we talk about these things when we're together, uh, coming over here. I mean, we are on the clock for you people all the time <laughs> thinking about these issues. And really, we were talking about the reason that the prince, it might be in his interest to be generous, to consider, um, gosh, it's hard for me to think. I don't even want to think about possibly ever divorcing this person or I wouldn't be marrying her. Um, But if we divorce and if it's 10 years out or 20 years out or 30 years out, um, you know, might there be some equitable justifications here for me giving her money? Right, right. And I think it makes a lot of sense because like you were just saying, if that's true, if he doesn't have to work anymore, he's 37 years old and he wants her to come along... Well, that's going to change the trajectory of her life as well. Right. So maybe if she married someone that was, you know, equally impoverished as Cinderella, then she would go to school and get a degree and right. make a good and, and, good and, living. Yeah. And the biggest issue I see, too, in the disparity is the concept of retirement. Because when you're 37 or 57, you have $60 million or you have $10 million, you have a retirement and the other person does not. Right. And so I think that, you know, whether it's unconscionable or not, um, if you want to have a, you know, healthy marriage, you know, you don't want somebody to feel like they can't build a retirement because they have to be, you know, they can't work and they're running around the, the, the world, you know, with, with the moneyed, moneyed spouse. Um, and, and so that's one thing that we see. We even see, you know, um, spouses that end up doing, you know, retirement plans for uh, the non-moneyed spouse. Um, well, and the thing like is, if, if this is someone that you're married to for any significant period of time, 
And even more so, if that person is also the parent of your child, you you don't want to kick them to the curb with nothing. Yeah. You know, that's that's hurting your child. And hopefully things don't end so badly that you want to kick them to the curb with nothing anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's a really good point. It just makes sense to plan for the future and think about about the the needs at whatever point down the road that the non-moneyed spouse might end up on his or her own. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's definitely... Now, talk about, we were also discussing post-marital agreements, mm-hmm. and why in the world would anybody ever do that? Well, I can honestly say I don't know why. I, I, I <laughs> We don't know why the women sign I them without know, a lawyer. I don't, well, I don't know why anybody would really agree to a post-nuptial agreement. Now, we've seen them done for... Um, I had a case once where a spouse had a lot of money and uh, in the marriage, and he did not have creditors yet that he was concerned about, but he thought that he might someday, and because he was in the type of business where it was a risky type business, and so he ended up putting a, I don't know, it was a quite a bit of money. Uh, Ooh, maybe- Carla, we just got that little. Oh, notice finger from our friend Kevin. Um, anyway. Is this our last segment? That's what I'm here for. It is oh. your last segment. You guys are oh, wrapping no. up. Oh, dear. Well, okay. we'll have to, we'll have to continue. We, we need to. And if there's a prince out there who needs, you know, a pre- or post-marital agreement, <laughs> please call us. Give us, give them our information. Oh, yeah. So, calibreshuff.com. Calibreshuff, where, family, where families matter. That's right. <laughs>